Imagine this. You show up to your house and there's an entire mob of people that have shown up for a surprise dinner party. The surprise is on you. I didn't invite any of these people. They're all dressed up. No one brought anything. You haven't made a store run all week. You know, going to Costco was on your weekend to-do list. What are all these people doing here? You think in your head, like, what do we have in the house I can use? And all we have is some peanut butter and jelly and a few pieces of bread and maybe some lunch meat. I don't even know if that's still good. Imagine that. What would you do? Not rhetorical. I want you to yell out the answer wherever it is that you're from. I just saw Doctor Strange 2, you know, the multiverse thing. I, I can probably hear you. So just, just, you should yell it out. Go ahead. Go ahead. Order out. Good. I hear you. Good. Order out. Send on to Pastor Leah's house. Okay. I don't know why it's Pastor Leah's problem, but that's what's said. Tell them to go home. <laughs> okay. Okay. Got it. Got it. I mean, really, what a nightmare that would be. In this message, upon any moment of surprise or in the midst of great need, we're going to invite you to do something else first. But before we get to that, hello and welcome. This is week two of our series, The Good and Beautiful Life, where we are talking about living out these five missional practices in today's world that we see in the life of Jesus and also throughout the early church, and we want to apply them to our lives. Now, to be completely candid, this is a bit of a last-minute sermon switch here. Pastor Adam was scheduled to give the message, uh, but he came down with COVID. And to his credit, he tried to power through, but realized it just wasn't going to happen. Turns out, just a few years ago, something like this happened to him. And he had to fill in on short notice with a fellow preacher who is wonderful and charming and has got a wonderful sense of humor. Yeah, I was that preacher. I owed him. <laughs> Full circle. I think he actually did this on purpose. Now, the friend part of me wants to tease him about, you know, I gave him a three, three quarters of a fully thought out sermon, and all I got back in return was like the Microsoft version of like a restaurant napkin with a few scribbles on it. Or maybe I would imitate an Adam story about, about you know, something I realized in the midst of swimming, or, or something like a great spiritual truth that I, that I discovered while driving a donated car that turned off when making a left turn, or something like this. But in all sincerity, I too really wanted to hear from him today, and until we do, we wish him a fast recovery, and make sure you send him your love and your peace and your prayers to him and his family. Today's missional practice is about prayer. And as I was looking at which biblical text to use, it was so obvious to see Jesus' prayer life and how inspiring it is. You can just flip through the pages of Scripture and just see so many texts. Now, if you've been around church life for a while, I'm sure these passages are fairly familiar to you. Like this one. After bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to watch Netflix and unwind because he was so tired from the work. No. Actually, it says, after bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. That's in Mark 6, 46. We just celebrated Easter last month, and you probably remember this memorable quote. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and figure out how to get out of this big mess. Nope. Matthew 26, 36 says, then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, sit here. Will I go over there and pray? 
There's at least 20 more instances where the gospel writer highlights Jesus praying in the real-time moment. And I don't even think I found them all. As you read the gospels of Jesus, maybe you keep a mental note of all the times that the scriptures mention Jesus praying. How about one more? Like this classic scene right before Jesus feeds the 5,000. Ordering the people to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up towards heaven, he thought, people are going to be amazed by this miracle for thousands of years. No, instead it says, ordering the people to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up towards heaven, he blessed the food, and breaking the loaves, he gave them to his disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds, from Matthew 14, verse 19. Today's message is going to focus on this moment, this one verse, and I want to call your attention to what really is the crux of it all. And so I want you to truly imagine this moment with me. Take a breath, get settled for a second. Imagine now, thousands of people all around you, It's people all over the place to come see Jesus. Initially, it was exciting. People came from all over to see him, to get healed by Jesus, to hear him preach. And it was taking a while. I mean, the line for the miracles, the getting seated for the teaching, the teaching, and all that came after. It was a long while, and before you knew it, hours had passed and everyone was hungry. You're hungry. Come to think of it, you're really hungry. But you want to stay to see what's going to happen next. Everybody else is staying. Someone around you overheard Jesus and the disciples trying to figure out a meal plan. Really? Is that possible? You have to be sitting somewhat close to the front, so you position yourself so that you can see a little bit further, and you see this little boy handing the small basket to Jesus and one of his disciples. There's some small talk. Jesus gives out instructions to his disciples and pulls out a few items in his hands. It doesn't look like much. That's not going to be enough. We should leave before the traffic gets bad. I think there's a diner up the way. I wonder if they're still open. Whoa, whoa, hold on. Something's happening here. Jesus holding up what looks like bread and some fish. Is is he praying? Yes, he's praying. Is he going to just eat in front of us? Oh, no, wait a minute. Hard to tell what's happening here, but he's looking up towards heaven. He's praying. And now the disciples look to be handing out food from somewhere. There's no tent. There's no obvious supply chain. In the midst of all this, a, a peace is like settling over all of us, in you and around you. Food is being provided. This is incredible. Someone asks you, what you saw, and you say, I'm, I'm not really sure. I, I saw Jesus grab some food, and it looks like he prayed over it, and now the disciples are just handing it out, and look, they're coming our way. What a scene that must have been. I picture various versions of it, and I know none of them probably do it justice, but I imagine people are somewhat annoyed. I imagine some people are excited. I imagine some people are anxious. I imagine people are satisfied. I imagine, imagine people being blessed. Don't miss it. Before all the action, before all the food gets distributed, Jesus took the food, prayed, and then the incredible miracle. Among the extraordinary actions we see from Jesus, 
he is often praying. And in this miraculous feeding of the 5,000, he begins in prayer. So we have a a three-point message here. And it begins like this. We begin in prayer. The first point is by directing our attention to God. We begin in prayer by directing our attention to God. I often have these spiritual conversations with people who describe themselves as spiritual, but either frustrated with traditional expressions of the Christian faith or have outright stopped, or you know maybe currently they're at arm's length or in some form of a pause. One friend of mine, who I appreciate very much, explained to me that he really sees prayer as basically a form of superstition. Now, we got into a whole fun conversation about it, and you know, he's only partially right if your prayer life is all about you getting what you want. If all prayer is is a means to get what you want or a, a fancy way to attempt to manipulate God the Almighty, then yeah, I, I guess. And it sounds so ridiculous when you say it out loud, right? As if, as if God is going to be deceived in giving you a Lamborghini and then be like, oh, I was duped again. Now, I know, I know. Often the things that we pray for are much more earnest than that. But my point is, if prayer is just to get what you want, then yeah, I could see how some might dismiss it as a form of superstition. Like you have to say these religious magic words to get what you want. And I told my friend, no, prayer is multifaceted. It's simple, but it's also yet complex. And one aspect is simply this, prayer as directing our attention to God. Now, this feels like a spiritual underpinning that Jesus keeps modeling for us, directing his attention to God the Father. And when Jesus does this, he models humility. That even Jesus is stopping to honor God the Father, to orient his life around the will of the Father, and to receive from the Father, which we'll get to in a few more moments. When we stop and we give our attention to God, we are acknowledging that we are not in charge that we seek to honor the true and living God, and that we are willing to receive whatever it is the Lord is trying to show us or work through us. And that's what we see in Jesus feeding the 5,000. That's our first point. We begin in prayer by directing our attention to God. A few years ago, I preached a message on prayer at our evening service. And afterwards in the lobby, a gentleman came up to me wanting to to share something, and he had kind of like this look of secrecy. He was actually kind of making me nervous. He was like motioning for us to move to a quieter and more discreet part of the lobby, thinking he's like, is he going to confess to being part of like Whitey Bulger's crime ring? Or is, is he a fellow Yankees fan, and he's going to show me the New York Yankees logo tattoo on his wrist? Did he just steal like Pastor Brian's Bible, and he's going to try to like to sell it to me or something? I don't know. Instead, he leans in and says, I appreciate the message on prayer. It's just that I, um, you know, if I'm being honest, I don't like to pray anymore. You just said it. And then he says, it's not that I don't love God or love Jesus. I do. And I know I should pray. And then he said, with all sincerity, it's, it's like I have a mental block with it right now. I've tried and I've tried. And it was one of those moments where I could feel his emotions more than his words. And he unpacked a bit of that, sleepless nights of praying, wondering if God was really still listening. 
There was the hurt from unanswered prayers or the hurt from getting the answers he didn't want. He briefly described some painful moments of life and and then he expressed the frustration from what felt like God working in everyone else's life, but but not his. And so he says, "I, I just don't know how to pray anymore. I felt that. And I listened for a bit. And I told him, you know, honestly, there are times that I felt like that too. Sometimes it's a slump or some form of a a spiritual heartbreak or disappointment. Often I snap out of it and I find my prayer rhythms again, but, but usually what gets me going is just sitting down and stopping and saying, God, I'm not even sure I have the words right now, but I want to be here. Lord, speak to me. Or just sit with me. But here I am, Lord. To be completely honest, I, I don't always even say all that. I, I just mean it. I believe that the Almighty God who knows a number of hairs in my head can read my spiritual body language. And I believe God will receive you wherever you are in your spiritual journey and however you approach the Lord. I shared that with the gentleman in the lobby and, and he asked, does that count as prayer? Yes. Absolutely. Directing our attention to God, whether it be for a moment or for a while, orients ourselves and around God and invites the Lord to be near and to be at work in our lives. Second, we begin in prayer by seeking power from God. Over and over in life, we have this extraordinary and daunting obstacle right in front of us, and we wonder if we are strong enough to overcome it, Are we tough enough to withstand it? Are we smart enough or or wise enough or creative enough to come up with a solution? And for many of us, our experience has taught us that if we work at a problem long enough, we can usually find some form of a solution. And just when we work out the problem, a mountain of a new problem lands right in front of us. And our energy is depleted from just having solved the previous one and our hope is dashed. How often we go through life and the, the problems and challenges by our own strength And perhaps part of the reason is that somewhere deep inside, we don't really believe that we deserve God's help. And that makes us feel like we're really on our own. Friends, I believe this is one of the devil's darkest lies. The lie that you don't really deserve God's grace. The lie that God prefers to help others, like like those who have shown greater faith than you or something like that. These and countless more are lies from the pit of hell. Friend, come to God with reverence. Come to God with love. Direct your attention to the Lord and receive the power of God. But come to Him. And we begin in prayer by seeking power from God. All the great aspirations that we have for the future of the church, for current and future generations, and for our lives to be transformed by the forgiveness found in Jesus, for relationships to be reconciled, for faith to be, for faith to be discovered and lived out, and, and countless more hopes can only be accomplished by the power of God. Otherwise, it's just a human endeavor. And it will have its moments where it impresses, but it's always going to be limited by our own human power. So do we have the courage 
to prayerfully live by the power of God, to allow the Holy Spirit to be at work in our lives, to allow ourselves to experience being blessed by God and to be instruments of blessing to others. If we want to live good and beautiful lives of blessing, we'll need to understand the depth of spirituality happening here in the miracle of the 5,000 and what that means in our lives, that same spiritual power. It seems that we should ask, what about these loaves and fish in our lives? Loaves and fish, what are they? They are resources for provision and enjoyment. You could also see it as resources for investment and for sharing. Fish and bread, steak and potatoes, tofu and brown rice, shelter and vehicles, storage and tools, clothes and toys, loaves and fish. One of the realizations of the feeding of the 5,000 is that God provides all that is needed for many. He takes what is given, a little boy's basket of bread and fish, blesses it, and directs his attention to God in gratitude and recognition. God empowers Jesus, and this blessing provides for thousands of people only by the power of God. God provides all these things and more and it is beyond ourselves. So can we take our talents, thank God for them, ask God to empower us and bless those around us, around our neighborhoods, around our world? Which leads to our third and final movement here. Jesus multiplying the five loaves of bread and two fish would be impressive even if it was just him feeding his 12 hungry disciples. But among the qualities that I love about this miracle is that the New Test- this is the New Testament proclaiming that God wants to provide for everyone. We begin in prayer so that we can be a blessing to those around us. That's our third movement. So we can be a blessing to those around us. Is this for everyone? Yes, everyone who was there. Did Jesus give some type of pop theology test to, to, to see who were there and then they got food? No. Jesus saw hungry people and he fed them. He blessed them. Friends, this miracle isn't just about food. Instead, the miracle is saying that in the kingdom of God, in the way of Jesus, the Lord can provide what you need and there's no limits. In fact, if you know the story, you know that there was 12 extra baskets of food. Imagine that moment. Each disciple having to carry an extra doggy bag home. Of course, there was going to be that moment where That disciple probably shook their head and wondered, did did that really happen? And they were going to be holding the leftovers, the evidence of that miracle, right in their hands, probably until they got hungry again. We as followers of Jesus have the opportunity to be a blessing to others. Just Just as we have been blessed by God, we also can be used by God to bless others. We can be among the ones proclaiming, God can provide for you too. So what do these provisions look like? Well, first, we can never look past basic provisions like food and shelter and humanitarian needs. Let's always be mindful of that and consider the opportunities before us in the, in the forms of food pantries and clothing drives and, and baby showers for families in need and, and caring for the elderly or for the sick in our midst. Another set of provisions, perhaps one that you see even more often in your everyday life but is more subtle, and maybe more prevalent in our suburban neighborhoods and workplaces, is do people around us know that God can provide for us in the midst of loneliness? 
that God can provide in the midst of heartbreak and disappointment, that God can provide in the midst of anxiety and uncertainty. Only God can provide the hope or the presence or the community or the care or the redemption of of the combination of such things and more. And one of the greatest testimonies that you can bless someone with is to say, I know God can provide this hope because I am living day to day with this very same hope. And one day, without this God-given hope, just one day, I would starve. To live in the blessing of God and to be a blessing to others, we must begin by praying, just like Jesus did. It's when we pray first, that brings on the great moments that often happen next. If the hope of blessing your neighbors captures you, we have a great opportunity to share with you. Next month, we are starting a series of short-term small groups and inviting any ongoing groups that want to participate in a four-week video series called The Art of Neighboring. If you've been part of Grace Chapel for a few years, you may remember this title as we have preached about it before and we've had small groups on this before. It's led by, it's, the book is written by Dave Runyon and Jay Pathak. The Art of Neighboring has been impactful on a few levels. One being it has a very clear missional invitation to show the love of Jesus right where you live. And another is his practical offerings, uh, like this tool pictured here. The authors Dave and Jay suggest making a little neighborhood map where you write down the names of your neighbors and, and you pray over them daily. For some of us, this is, oh no, I don't actually know all my neighbors. You're not alone. Hence the need for this little map, just, just like this one. It invites you to take action in learning not just who they are, but actual needs that you can pray for. This practice is going to invite you to talk to your neighbors, to show care, to show love and humility, to show the love of Jesus. And among the first things that we can do, you guessed it, is to begin by praying for our neighbors. As we pray for those nearby, let us also pray for the pressing and heartbreaking needs that capture our attention in the headlines. This week has been yet another extraordinary one where the pain and violence of the world fills our hearts with a spectrum of emotions that include grief, uncertainty, perhaps even anger and beyond. The recent shootings in in Buffalo, New York, where a gunman who is white and is 18, it was an 18 year old who entered a grocery store in an African-American neighborhood, killing 10 people, injuring more while live streaming video from a camera on his helmet. He left behind a manifesto that was blatantly racist, anti-immigrant, and was fueled by views of white supremacy. And as we were learning about this evil and heinous crime, news of a church shooting broke. This one at Geneva Presbyterian Church in Laguna Woods, California where a Taiwanese church was infiltrated by a gunman who opened fire at a luncheon being held in honor of a a pastor. And as a Taiwanese-speaking gunman opened fire, this gentleman named Dr. John Chang attacked the gunman with a chair. He was there with his elderly mother who had just recently lost her husband, and she wanted to worship and honor the pastor, and so her her 50-something-year-old son came with her. Our hearts are saddened for Dr. Chang, who leaves behind a wife and two children and a community that is reeling from this attack that left five seriously injured and this one fatality who acted with bravery and sacrifice. We've been here many times 
before and, and following a senseless and violent shooting. Early in this message, I, I mentioned sometimes that I open a prayer just by asking God just to be with me. And I found myself doing that a few times this week. Lord, again? I know I should be surprised. I just hate this. How long must we sing this song, O oh Lord? We often wonder and we grieve and we lament. And often these tragedies get politicized and, and they lead to fiery debates, compounding our hurt and anger even more. And in a series where we're talking about the good and beautiful life, we must ask, what does that mean in a world with so much violence and tragedy? In a world that is filled with racism and hatred and a propensity for bloodshed, what difference can the way of Jesus actually make? And how can we be a people of blessing in the midst of what often feels like a world that feels like it's on a runaway train in an overly complicated world? I heard a story this week that came out of Instagram. A young African-American friend of, a friend of many of ours who, who used to be part of this church, and she moved a couple of years ago. She posted this on her feed. I'll, I'll read it to you. It says, she reposted this and says, if you're a black American who had your groceries delivered because you didn't feel comfortable going to the store because of recent news, drop your PayPal, Cash App, or Venmo, whatever, and let some allies reimburse you. And then she wrote, FYI, fellow black people, I put my info down and my groceries were paid for 10 minutes later. Obviously, this doesn't solve real systemic issues or delete issues black people face daily, but it did pay for groceries for this week. I mean, that's amazing. But let's not skip too quickly to the good part. Most of us don't think twice when we go to Whole Foods or to Wegmans or a market basket. Maybe this week you will find yourself buying someone's groceries in a similar way, providing someone's bread or fish for the week. But for the next set of weeks, as you shop for groceries, could you pray for the African-American community while you're grocery shopping? This is what the Instagram community is doing. And undoubtedly, some are part of the church. But let's also ask, what can churches like ours do right now? There's much that has been said and that needs to be said again and again. But let me first return to the point of this message. As Jesus modeled over and over, especially in the midst of stress and the pain and the fury of it all, we must begin with prayer. We must begin by calling out to God in lament. We must seek the presence of the Lord to seek God's peace and wisdom and strength so that we can act with justice, love, truth-telling, and goodness. This is where we have to start, and then we have to continue. This series, as you heard last week from Pastor Brian, as, as you might remember, also previously highlights the missional practices of, of, of these five steps of bless. Begin in prayer, listen with care, eat with others, serve in humility, and tell the stories. And when it comes to the issues of racism and violence, let us begin in prayer. And then let us listen with care to our family and our friends who have much to share with us, especially our African-American friends. Let us eat with those who are different from us. Let us serve in, in all the ways that invites us to change our perspectives, that challenges our ideological and political views. And then let us create 
tell and share all kinds of redemptive stories that will shape us as individuals, that will shape us as a church and the world around us. Because if we look the other way, whether it be ignoring the blatant racism in front of us or if we call it by another name, we then forfeit our ability and our calling to be a blessing altogether. But if, if we begin in prayer by directing our attention to God, by seeking power from God, so that we can be a blessing to those around us, then we can make a difference. Through this, we can allow ourselves to become instruments of grace, truth, justice, and action. And then we have a chance to live out the goodness and beauty of Jesus in a world that often feels like it has gone mad. It feels overwhelming. Like faithful disciples trying to find a solution for thousands of people with no practical resources in sight. And while there are distinct differences there, may we also consider this moment, whether it be in the face of a national tragedy or a profound personal need, that in the crux of the moment where a Jesus type of miracle is needed, Jesus began with prayer. He gave his attention to God, sought power from God, and then the people were blessed. Friends, imagine just one more moment, the kind of good and beautiful life that we can live out in the way of Jesus Imagine that. It may be true in our lives. May we be people of prayer, of scripture, and of Jesus' redemptive love, blessing others in his name. Imagine that. And may it begin with prayer. Would you pray with me now? Lord, we are so grateful for the gift of scripture. We're grateful, Lord, that you model the goodness of prayer and the power of prayer. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us wherever it is in our prayer lives right now. Whether we need to rebuild our prayer lives or, or deepen our prayer lives, may you help us now. May you help us believe in the power of prayer and the profound difference that it can make around us and in us. So may you be with us, Lord. Amen and amen.